that were, like friendships hidden, and laughters forbidden. Shadows of what will be, shadows of what ought to be, ought to have been, beyond chimney tops, a star with a tail, illuminating all. Behind the wall, the grave of the future, covered in snow. God bless us, everyone, says Tiny Tim from his tiny grave. Christmas is coming. The future is coming. The goose is getting fat. Fatten us for Christmas. Fatten us for the future. Fatten us against the cold. Uh, well, let me ask you a question. Did you have lunch today? Yes, I did. Did you like it? Snow. Blessed snow. The near future. The distant future. The not so distant future. The ghost of Christmas future brings glad tidings and sober admonitions. Are these shadows of the things that will be, or the shadows of what may be only? Shadows of future, shadows of Christmas, shadows of ghosts. The ghost of Christmas future, Christmas future, future. Yet, 
it was a cheese dream. And then uh, even a, a, a snootier, you know, a snootier person that I knew who really felt that they were, you know, the upper, upper crust. Um, I, uh, apparently this person was a teacher and had her class over once and, you know, gave them some stuff to eat. They had a, had a bite. And I said, oh, oh, what did you have? And uh, she had made, made these. She said, good old-fashioned Connecticut cheese dreams. My gosh. They even went up, they even went up higher. <laughs> Not to be confused with an ordinary cheese dream. Not, well, ordinary grilled cheese and tomato. Brian. Yeah, right. Well, but then, you know, if a <laughs> if a cheese dream is above a grilled cheese with tomato then a Connecticut Good cheese old. dream. I left out I left out Connecticut cheese dream then then followed, you know, good old Connecticut or good old fashioned Connecticut cheese dreams. <laughs> God, I never heard any of that before. Well, I've never heard this term cheese dream. Uh, yes, and uh, my uh, um, uh, our family doctor when I was growing up was osteopathic, which means uh, D.O. instead of M.D., a total physician. You know, they're becoming more popular today, but they were popular back in Philadelphia because there was a college there. And uh, so if you were a family physician, you probably were osteopathic. And many osteopathic doctors became friends of the family. They went on picnics with you and the whole bit. And so sure enough, our doctor would go to barbecues and picnics with us. I couldn't stand that when he did, but nonetheless, he did. And uh, I even got upset once because he was there. I had four hamburgers for lunch. That was me acting out. Uh, but, af- but afterwards, he said, let the children have a chocolate pick. And uh, now I'm saying to myself, what is a chocolate pick? I mean, obviously, it, the way he said it, let the children have a chocolate pick. That was for dessert. So sure enough, he opens up his cooler and passes out these chocolate picks. And it, 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 they were the same fudgesicles. Remember fudgesicles? I do very well. Yeah, they were the same fudgesicles that I bought for a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> but with him, it was a chocolate pick. <laughs> And it, well, presentation is so much, I guess. And it took it, it up. colors and, the way you perceive the very same object. Well, yeah, uh, and I think that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about perception. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, frankly, I think, I think it's kind of, uh, kind of important. I think pretty much everything, um, everything that we do uh, artistically, uh, uh, presentation is... Is is of is is of prime importance. I mean, you can set a table yeah. with good presentation. You can serve food food with a with with the right preparation. You can put on a concert uh, with 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 the proper preparation, which uh, gives it gives it you know ten times the the elegance that 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 you know it, uh, that it could have had uh, if you didn't pay attention to that. You know what I mean? Oh sure, sure. Well, it's 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 comprehensive. The the Gesamtkunstwerk, the total work of art. The total work of art. And uh, and speaking of total work of art, well, first of all, I wanted to say basically, uh, as accordionists, uh, we have to keep that in mind 
um, as we as we you know present our concerts, and even more so now that we have to present them in in places that we didn't think we were going to be presenting them in. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Uh, obviously, we you know before all this, we had the concert hall number one. Uh, we had the club number two. Three, we had like you know the performance space, uh, you know. Then we had the you know the hipster, the hipster venue, whatever whatever you want to call that. Uh, <laughs> and, and then of, then of course what was becoming popular because it had no overhead were were you know the house concert, and right. they were starting to become become popular. Uh, and uh, you know I understand that it goes back to the old salon days. And uh, and also, there's no overhead. You, uh, someone has a large enough space, and all you need to do is serve some refreshments. Um, you can put on a concert. And uh, so now we have to find obviously other ways to present these concerts elegantly, and with you know in in the same in the same classy manner that uh, you know that we did that we did before. And uh, which brings me to the next question, uh, Brian. Since you're up in the Catskills, uh, have you been doing any virtual performing up in that area? I've only done one mm-hmm. virtual performance, and that was in May. And uh, but then, you know, when the weather was still warm, I actually did a number of outdoor gigs. But that's the only time I did a uh, virtual performance. Of course, which in my mind is just like sticking video on the web. Right. But uh, in a way, like I think even though I appreciate the idea of things being done live, uh, like Like if you're going to put put it on the web, you may as well be able to look at it later (laughs) instead of that you just missed it. Right, right. I suppose a lot of times it works both ways. You can it works see it live stream, but then you can also see it canned yeah. later. Yeah, that's what the uh, uh, last year's seminars, uh, uh, in other words, they, they yeah. were broadcast um, with me live, and then the performances were, many of the performances were virtual, and yeah. now you can see them on YouTube, the you know, yeah. the entire show, right. where, where, you know, where now I am, uh, where I was live, I am now I am now recorded. Yeah, and, and what what was live about the seminars too is that a bunch of people were there gathered to, uh, you know, converse in between the pieces. That's correct. So there was that. There was an actual meeting of people, uh, as opposed to simply looking something up on the web. By exactly. Yourself. Exactly. And that's going to happen again. It's going to happen again at the uh, at the at the end of uh, at the end of July, just like always uh, the last weekend. And uh, and this uh, this year the theme is going to be the twilight time, and is uh, uh, and that can go in so many different directions, Brian. Uh, that can go. Uh, for instance, there is a song, Twilight Time. I don't know if you remember that song. I don't know the song, but. I, I remember the phrase "the twilight time," which I was intrigued by because it's not the same thing exactly as saying the twilight. Because when you're talking about the twilight, you're just sort of focusing almost more of like in a photograph, like on a slice of time. 
Bruce Likes' Twilight, but the Twilight Time is about a, a little morsel of time. Yeah, it, twilight occurs. It could be it has the element of time. Yeah, yeah. It, it could be actual twilight, or it could be a happy hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that use of the word time and that use of the word hour. Yeah, meaning like a certain kind of like a parcel of time, a morsel of time, like it's a unit almost, a yep. unit of experience. Yep. And that's a good way to look at it. Um, there is a song. Uh, two versions, by the way. The famous song that what we know, the one that we know more, of course, uh, that was a big hit in the '50s by a group called the F the Platters, uh, with you know Twilight Time, and that was you know Heavenly Shades of Night are Falling. That's Twilight Time, and it was called Twilight Time. But what people don't realize that in 1946, a group called the Three Sons did their version of it, and that. Uh, uh, actually, the first version, and that was for accordion, organ, like Hammond organ and guitar. Yeah. And, and, and it was a smash hit, you know. Just a little sampling of it. That sounds great. It's yeah. It was. It's a very sweet song, and it was a smash hit. And uh, and so uh, we're calling. We're, that's was simply called Twilight Time, and we're calling the uh, the weekend the the Twilight Time because we want to cover. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so uh, what I tell people is, you can. You can capture this mood that I just played, or you can capture many other moods. You can capture the mood of uh, the Twilight Zone, for all I care. And, right. uh, you know, why not? If you want to do a, you know, you want to do a piece that's sort of like ethereal or, you know, a little little in a, uh, in a spacey dimension, you can do that. Or if you want to do something cocktail-y, you know. You know, in that particular uh, cocktail hour, and uh, you know, like those albums where you see a guy playing by the fireplace, you know, to to his girlfriend, and he says, you know, <laughs> martini time. You know, this. <laughs> yeah, the martini time, the yeah. cocktail time. <laughs> yeah, cocktail time, and so forth. If you want to go in that direction, you can go in that uh, direction. There's so many different directions to go in in that particular yeah. realm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the twilight being the sort of transitional in between, you know, day and night. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like the, or like 19th century transcendentalism and trying to communicate and uh, commune with the dead. And uh, that's a good way to go, Brian. Keep, yeah, between, yeah. Between the living and the departed. Well, the metaphor of the twilight uh, goes in many directions. Well, please use that, uh, Brian. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's a great, uh, great dimension uh, to uh, to get into. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right about that whole uh, 19th century. I'm thinking of uh, 
like Charles Swedenberg and uh, oh, you know, so you know, uh, theosophy, right? Yeah, and all these religious philosophies that uh, that you know dealt with, uh, as you said, communication, communications with uh, with spirits. And uh, certain spiritualist um, organizations emerged during that particular period. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, the, you know, the the seances. And for me, I never liked the idea of seance, and I never, in a sense, tried to incorporate it. Number one, it's uh, it's a it's a little occulty, and uh, and I was never a fan of that uh, as a you know. As a Catholic, uh, it it always it always seemed a little bit on the uh, on the dark side. On the other hand, I like the term seantic, uh, and s e a n t i c, which which is an antiquated word, but it means to see. And I always preferred seantic. Oh, which, you know, of course, as I just said, meaning to see, instead of, let's say, while you're musically uh, trying to create a, a seance. And, wow, uh, I never thought of uh, the adjective form of seance. Uh, that was seantic, man. Yeah, 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 see what I mean? Uh, <laughs> you can actually say, now that was, that was seantic. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, tell me what else is going on, uh, Brian, in in your neighborhood or uh, in your neck of the woods, or or what you what you you know what you have uh, what you're hot on, you know, uh, from uh, an artistic standpoint, Brian. Well, not a heck of a lot, but um, you know, I stayed home for the holidays. Uh, didn't try to travel anywhere. And uh, I've been doing some recording with the dual primate console, uh, an electronic instrument that my cousin Leon and I made together. And so I've been recording a lot of uh, rhythmic music with that. And then uh, and I also recorded uh, this song for Meg Reichardt's holiday compilation that she got a bunch of people to send stuff in this year. Uh, she used to have a wonderful party every year where people would bring a song that they wrote and record it during the party. And oh. it became bigger and more elaborate. And then she stopped doing it because it was too overwhelming. But this is the first year she came back to it again and asked if I would do a song. And I said, sure. So I, I did. And, uh, and it began with the dual primate console. And then I had some other acoustic instruments I was going to had uh, some Hammond organ, but uh, I didn't because I still have to do some work on it to uh, get it to function. Uh-huh. It, it won't need a lot, but right now, uh, the output of it doesn't work. Uh-huh. Uh, Brian, what piece of viewers were we hearing today? So what we'll hear is that piece, and it's called oh. The Ghost of Christmas Future. And... Uh, it was the first one of these things I did with these rhythms that actually ended up as a song. And uh, so uh, I wrote a sort of a poem 
called The Ghost of Christmas Future and, and put it to music with the electronic rhythms mixed with uh, the acoustic instruments are a bass drum, a snare, uh, a tree of jingle bells, a violin, and a recorder. And, uh, and there was maybe even going to be some accordion, but there isn't. And so, uh, but it's funny how doing it, there are certain things that the rhythmic part does. It sort of makes me think of the, of the rhythmic push-pull of the accordion. So there is no accordion in the piece, although there is, in a way, the ghost of an accordion. <laughs> I, I, lo- I, I love that. I love that analogy, Brian. I really do. Uh, uh, the, the you know the uh, the power of, of of the piece. I heard it. It's wonderful, and the power of the the piece is the absence of the accordion. Uh, <laughs> really, and uh, I say that in all. Uh, uh, give an example. Uh, I'll use a couple examples that that uh, that come to my mind. Is that uh, people attribute when they, you know, when 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 Kurt Vile is mentioned, uh, uh, people attribute in many ways the the accordion uh, to Kurt Vile. Though he, he's a name that in many cases will will immediately come up, and, and in reality he wrote very little for the accordion. And uh, yeah. yeah. And, but the interesting thing is his particular kind of style, when the accordion came in, it really flavored the ensemble. And when the accordion went out, when it wasn't there, you still heard like the residue of the accordion in the ensemble, even though it was not playing. It's the power of the, and, and, you know, the, it's the power of the instrument, <laughs> you know, in, in that respect. And another case is the uh, the arranger Jonathan Tunick. Uh, I had um, uh, I had done uh, Carousel on Broadway uh, about a year and a half ago, and uh, he redid the arrangements. And the original Carousel did not have accordion in the ensemble. Oh. And so you know, and so he redid the arrangements. He made them much more transparent. So, uh, um, for instance, uh, you know. If, you actually heard the clarinet if the clarinet came in. You know, the band wasn't just there to accompany the singers. Yeah. And, uh, like, you know, the old Broadway orchestrations. Uh, many of them were just sort of there to hold the singers' hands. And, uh, and the, the arrangements were very transparent. And so when, you, when a certain instrument came in, you heard it. And, he, you know, he does all the song, you know, he does many of the Sondheim yeah. orchestrations. And so he did that with the accordion. In other words, you actually heard the accordion coming in, and you actually heard the accordion leave. And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> really, and well, that and, is the wonderful thing about it. You say it's you know being done transparently because then everything isn't just this uniform yeah. heap or mound of sounds. You you have the contrast of sounds. You hear things come in and out. Yes. And uh, suddenly you can see more, you can feel more, because everything isn't just, uh, you know, so dense that it's just this taste. Uh, that's a good way of putting it, Brian. You know, I couldn't have put it better uh, in that respect. And uh, and so the orchestrations, um, I remember, you know, 
you know, playing when I needed to play, and and uh, and then, uh, frankly, uh, putting the instrument down for certain numbers, and which we all did occasionally. We weren't always playing all the time, and you know, when she's up there singing, "You'll Never Walk Alone," we're down there playing cards, you know. <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, uh, when I had to come in and play. Uh, it, it, it was it was an event. It was a special event. I mean, now I'm not you know that that goes for the flutist, the clarinetist, or whatever. Uh, when you came in, it was a special event, and when you when you left, uh, the audience was desiring for when you'd come in again. Uh, and at the same time, you certainly heard the resonance of what was previously done. I had mentioned that to Tunic, and he agreed. And uh, and so. It's, 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 it's a good thing to think about for those of you out there who end up writing for the accordion or putting the accordion in your ensembles. Uh, if I had to give you just a simple bit of advice is don't overwrite. And, uh, yeah. I think that's a great... I mean, that is so important, what you just said. I remember long ago, I think when I was a student, I saw a, a visiting lecturer who told a story about a composition teacher who, when his students handed in their manuscripts, he gave them extra points for every rest in the score. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think about, um, you know, in the writings of Morton Feldman, he's oh. talking about different approaches to art. And he says, some artists are putter-inners, some artists are taker-outers. Mm. My friend Gunter Grass is a putter inner. Mm. I'm a taker outer. Yeah, he is. He is. And, uh, and he went for that kind of efficiency and transparency. Yeah, yeah. And uh, beautiful work. And yeah. it's amazing how much more, in a way, how much more action packed things are when you pull things out and you remove the dead wood, and then everything else becomes more visible. Yeah, I think that's what we're 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 talking about today in relation to a, to our you know to our wonderful instrument too. Uh, I mean, l look, Brian. I mean, you took the instrument out entirely. Uh, <laughs> only, 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 only to get the instrument uh, in our consciousness even more. Uh, I mean, you went into you went into an existential dim dimension here, Brian. And, uh, you know, we can talk about, you know, the, the, you know, the sonic dimension, you know, the practical dimension, but there is an existential dimension that you were, uh, uh, were doing, are doing, and, in basically, uh, presenting the accordion in its absence, or as you said, as a ghost, because, you know, your, your, your piece is about a ghost. Yeah. And so the accordion becomes that becomes that ghost. It's funny, going back to the seances, I think about how, um, you know, people using an Ouija board or yeah. you're hearing knocks and stuff like that. When people talk about ghosts and talking about knocking or crashing or floating candles, I think that's not what ghosts do. No. That's what people do. Yeah. People knock stuff around. Ghosts, Haunt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, they don't smash stuff up. 
Yeah. Um, That's for people, people who have physical powers. Ghosts don't have physical powers, but their powers are more terrifying because they don't have to move a thing in order to get into your brain and your soul. brain. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. One, one gets this sense of presence, <laughs> and which is terrifying. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, apparitional you know, dimension, one can sometimes feel that is that that is that is happening. That can happen to any of us. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of ways to go go about dealing with it. Number one is, uh, um, what do you do about it when it happens, Brian? When, uh, you, when, uh, when you know, let's say if you get a, if you get a sense of the apparitional, when you get a sense of the ghost, when you get a sense well, of something. I had an experience when. A friend of mine, his name was Russ, had passed away. And very shortly after, I was lying on my bed. This is back when I lived in New York. And then and I was sort of in a half sleep, lying on my bed. And then I dreamt that Russ, like, got into my brain and was haunting me. And it was freaking me out. And I said to him, Russ, don't do that. It's frightening me. Yeah. But he was so excited by his newfound power to haunt, mm. that he was uncharacteristically callous and couldn't appreciate that he was freaking me out because he was distracted and excited about this newfound power to haunt. Uh-huh. What did you do about it? And, well, then I told my friend Mark about it, because uh -huh. he knew him too, and Mark said, that's just like Russ. <laughs> well... Um, I think, I think it, I think it was handled well, and, uh, I, I think you, I think you, um, understood it well, and, uh, uh, I had an experience like that when I was in second grade, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, I described it in school, uh, and we all had to get up and tell a story, and I, you know, described it in school where the, you know, they appeared, and everybody laughed, and I laughed. And uh, and the, the, nun, the nun said to me, "Where did you get you know Where did you get those you know How did you come up with that?" And I said, "I dreamt it," and uh, it kind of was a dream. And I said, "I dreamt it," and she goes, "Oh, William, <laughs> no." And, <laughs> well, you didn't explain yeah. how it occurred. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so uh, and that kind of was it, and. Uh, so, on that note, uh, it's sort of leading into my into my composition I'm playing uh, right now, and and I want to just capture the spirit of what's going on today, and uh, and what I hopefully is going to happen, you know, in the future or where we're going. And this piece is called uh, "Reality Rub." Are you And which means. Um, the piece starts off rather romantically and and beautifully, and yet there's a rub between, like, say, G major and G minor. You know, uh, the way we want to feel and the reality of how it really is. And uh, then eventually ends up, it ends up changing from, let's say, G minor, G major. Eventually, ends up changing to a a B flat almost immediately. In other words, you know, where you don't expect it to a B flat, 
and moving high, and the B flat resembles a kind of feeling of hope, uh, where it's like coming out of a tunnel. And if we're going to talk about what we just talked about, like you know, coming out of a kind of a time tunnel, and uh, off into perhaps a hopeful, hopeful dimension. And so, ladies and gentlemen, this is Reality Rub. That was Reality Rub, by yours truly. <laughs> I enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes it almost made me think of a steam calliope. Yeah. Not in the style of what is played, but just in the, the actual sound and physicality of the instrument. Well, that, uh, that is a good analogy. As a matter of fact, I sort of... Um, I, I, you know, the term I was kind of using for lack of a better term was a kind of a steampunk sound. <laughs> uh, if that's, if that's appropriate or not, it, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it had that kind of color. You said steam calliope. Well, yeah. I, I wouldn't deny it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think well, I I appreciate that. Uh, if you if you're hearing steam calliope, and uh, and of course, gets trans it gets you know uh, trans it gets uh, transformed a little bit as it come as as it goes through the. Uh, speakers and telephone and so forth, well, which is... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a part of it. The telephone might even be sometimes exaggerating the breath of the air around the reed and the certain kind of breathy sounds that can be made by the accordion, particularly when the note is, you know, coming in and out. Yeah. Or... Actually, I rather like it. it almost sounds like a chip. Yeah. Actually, I rather like it. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I'd like you too. Yeah, and so, uh, well, that's uh, that's that's uh, as I said, reality rub. Uh, you, know, you know, the romanticism of what we're used to, uh, our lives and so forth, the reality, and then, well, the you know, the hope, the hope, you know, out of the time tunnel and into the light. Yeah, and uh, so that's the. Uh, uh, I think we were kind of talking about that as leading up to it with all our transcendental <laughs> uh, discussions we were, we, were, we were pretty pretty much having. Uh, um, I'm just going to say a few words about uh, what I'll be doing as we, uh, as we go along. In the next couple of months, uh, I, I've, I've written a work, and the work is going to take between six and seven hours, and it's going to be a series of tributaries. And uh, and they'll be, uh, they'll be done um, one hour per week, and uh, and tributaries meaning uh, can mean many things. A tributary is a small river leading into a large river. It could be a tribute to something or somebody or whatever, but nonetheless, it covers a, a lot of ground in terms of accordion writing and the accordion and rather rather different dimensions, the one I just played now. This is going to be one of the tributaries. And, uh, and so um, uh, stay tuned for that. I'll be putting that up on my Facebook page when that's going to be happening. Um, and so uh, that's one of the projects for after the holidays, after New Year's. And then, of course, um, uh, the seminars are going to be uh, um, at the last weekend of July, like always, and so whatever those dates are, I don't have a calendar in front of me for 2021 yet, uh, but it's going to be the last weekend of July. They always are. And so uh, as we go along, you'll know, know what the dates there they are. And again, the theme is going to be the twilight time. And I know Brian's already thinking about it. I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, uh, and Brian, anything down the line that I need to hear about? Oh goodness! Nothing to report other than usually. You, I'm, uh, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do because you're always cooking something. Well, the thing I'm cooking up now is, um, you know, making lots of these rhythmical patterns, and then I'm going to go back over them with some other instruments. And uh, uh, I will also. I've been doing so much, you know, digitizing of cassettes during COVID, and I have to do that with some multi-track tapes, but uh, um, about a year and a half ago, I did some recordings with the Theremin 
Catalina Stigney. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and while she was staying here, I thought, well, we should do some recording. Well, we didn't have that much stuff worked up when we were doing stuff live. We knew some pieces and we're doing some improvisations. But uh, I had recorded a bunch of things with the dual primate console, yeah. you know, with the idea that I was going to add to them. So I had about four tapes full of this stuff. And so she and I just listened to it over speakers and improvised to it. Her on the theremin and me on a Wurlitzer electric piano. Mm. And I'll add some other stuff. And then we'll get that in the can. So that's a partially finished thing. So I'm going to wrap up these partially finished things. And in the meantime, I'm having a lot of fun uh, having these little rhythmical adventures. And then once they're done, you know, putting on some accordions and and Hammond organ and penny whistles and and even the violin, which is not an instrument I know how to play at all, but I can still use it as a yeah. sound puppet. Yeah, sure you can. And, uh, well, you know, all of this really sounds exciting, so don't tell me you're not into things. You're not doing anything uh, right uh, now. Uh, 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 oh, yeah. No, yeah. I think it's, it's just, it's just still, uh, it's, it's forming, it's coalescing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm finding out what it is, but, uh, uh, and now I've, I've reached the payoff of clearing stuff out of the way so yeah. that when I record, I've got some elbow room and it's pleasant and fun. So I'm so glad I've, I've kind of dug myself out of the piles that I was living in. Well, I, I saw, I saw, you know, at the, at the seminars, uh, when you, uh, when you came on before the seminars started, and uh, I, I noticed your your workroom, and uh, your workroom. Oh yes, that's right. Was as was as, the... as neat as a pin. <laughs> was as neat as a pin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, I mean, you know, yeah, well, it, it looked so organized. I know it's so much better. I I can't believe it. And uh, you know, I I had tunneled out this big strange closet that's very awkward and was disorganized and dirty and now it's clean and attractive and everything put it away and I think gee it wasn't that long ago this was just a filthy mess yeah why didn't I do this years ago so I'm glad it's done now yeah 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 I mean I, rem I remember I remember Havermeyer Street and uh, and uh what I remember there is, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it was never dirty, Brian. It was never dirty. Oh, that was never dirty. No. Here it was dirty just because I had a, a closet with, you know, that mice got into. Yeah. It was the mice that made it dirty. Yeah. Um, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but, but in New York, but, I didn't have the dirt. And, and also in New York, in my music room, everything was kind of set up and ready to go, which was great. You mean it was sort of ready. If you wanted to make a recording, all you had to do was step in and do it. Well, that you mean in Havermeyer Street? In Havermeyer Street? Yeah, Havermeyer Street. Well, well, and for here, for a long time, things were disorganized. But now, now it's getting to the point where I can just get going on it on a on a whim. Yeah, because uh, I remember one of my, you know, former students. Oh, uh, who uh, you know her, of course, but you know she had mentioned that you, John Linnell, and maybe some other people—I don't know—were sharing a house, and she presented it as some sort. Of, this is before I saw it. She presented it as some sort of uh, 
some sort of monastic place. Uh, uh, and you know what I said. Remember that? I said, you know, do they meet for morning prayer? <laughs> and she said, I don't know, and I don't want to know. <laughs> and, well, it was a wonderful house because it was, um, well, the, the building had been a, it was built to be a, a funeral home. It was the Francisi Cucurulo funeral home in the north side of Williamsburg. Yeah. And uh, it had little stained glass fanned windows over some of the doors and windows on the first floor. So it was a very solid and beautiful building. Nice uh, Kitty corner across from Our Lady of Mount Carmel, but it wasn't a part of it. And people looked at it and they thought it was the rectory, but it wasn't. Well, uh, interesting, I said, uh, interesting, actually, that before I even saw it, it's interesting that I said that they meet for morning prayer. So I must have been, yeah. I must have been picking up on something. <laughs> Oh, but you saw a cross in the stained glass in yes, one of yes, the windows. Yes, yes, You didn't remember it. It embossed itself yes. in your yeah. brain. It's something in my brain, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Brian, that brings us to a close. Uh, I think we, we uh, had a great discussion. We uh, accomplished a lot. And I think the big lesson for everyone who's listening uh, out there in terms of those who are interested in our instrument uh, and interested in writing for our instru instrument is that um, um, if you're going to put us in an ensemble, um, don't overwrite. Um, allow, us, allow us the, uh, the space to be transparent where we need to be. And uh, the effect will be more more powerful. I know this is a generalization, but it's a good one. And, it is a yeah, good one. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, there are certainly exceptions, but I wish people knew more about the general rule, and particularly in improvisation. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times people just don't feel comfortable if they're not playing, and they feel like they're supposed to be doing something, when in fact the discipline... That's such a huge part of the discipline of improvisation is knowing when to play and when not to play. And not to play is to uh, make it more transparent. Yeah, and, and also in terms of improvisation is, is one of the beautiful things about uh, um, sparser improvisations is that you can you know, take, take the inner pulse of something and find the infinite space between those pulses. And, uh, and in the case of, if you are doing something that's more or less jazz oriented, if you have a beat and you play something in between those particular beats in the pocket of those beats, you get something that's beyond, beyond even syncopation. Uh, you get a whole spatial dimension of being able to play inside uh, between two beats. And if you're going to improvise and land in those particular places, you don't have to play a lot of notes. That's my point is that in a sense can, can, can help your mind choose areas to play that where you don't have to like say kind of clutter, you, you know, to do a lot of clutter. Yeah, it's about being aware of the problem of 
clutter and how to steer clear of it. Exactly, exactly. There are situations that require density, but yeah. you don't want it to be the default. Yeah, yeah. And if anything, I would rather have something uncluttered be the default. Yeah, yeah. Because it's so much less often that you say, gee, if only there was more clutter. Well, you know, now, if we're, if we're talking about Phil Spector's Wall of Sound, you know, that he, that he did with some of, those, some of those groups in the early 1960s, we're talking about a whole different dimension. But again, there's a certain mix that he did. He did a certain mix where he sort of made the mix, in a sense, more transparent, and at the same time, he kept the Wall of Sound. And, you know, I always felt in the application to him that the wall of sound wasn't really the right way to describe it. Yeah. Of course, when I yeah. think of a wall of sound, it, you know, it makes you just think that there's going to be this sheer bombast, you know, yeah. a plane that's coming to run you over. Yeah. But that's not really what no. he's doing. Or maybe it's just about the idea of, you know, you might be filling the spectrum, but you're you're not. Um, you know, having people getting each other's way. Correct, correct, correct. So even there, there is that there is that sense of 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 you know pushing it back, of creating that wall of sound, and even doing it sparely, where in a sense yeah. where one you know where one hears a largeness due to the fact that of the of the of the sparsity, uh, almost the ironic duality of it. Yeah. yeah. And so that's our, I think that's our lesson for today, for those of you out there, especially who are dealing with our, you know, our wonderful instrument. There's, you know, there's a lot to learn. And, uh, you know, we're learning as we go along and, uh, and we're sharing what we know. And uh, so uh, on that grounds, uh, unless you have something more you want to say, Brian. Oh, I think that just about wraps it up. Wraps it up for me, too. It's great talking to you. And we all, I wish everyone uh, a really happy new year and a much better 2021. And Brian, how about you? Yeah. Yeah, well, I wish everyone good luck yep. in the new year, which will be a better year. Yep. And, uh, and, so, uh, yeah. and it's been great hanging out with you. Likewise, Brian, and it always is. Okay. Huh. All the best. Over and out. Over and out. Bye-bye now. Look to the future. The future. What will the future bring? The future brings Christmas. The ghost of Christmas future. A ghost to guide you? Are these shadows of things that will be? Or shadows of what may be? Only. Shadows of once that were. Of friendships hidden. And laughters forbidden. Shadows of what will be. Shadows of what ought to be. Ought to have been Beyond the chimney tops A star with a tail
illuminating all behind the wall the grave of the future covered in snow God bless us everyone says Tiny Tim from his tiny grave Christmas is coming the future is coming the goose is getting fat fatten us for Christmas fatten us for the future fatten us against the cold Darkening snow, look in the window at the warmth of Christmas. Christ will be reborn and take away the sins of the world. How futuristic is that? All will be forgiven and covered with snow. Blessed snow. The near future, the distant future, the not-so-distant future, the ghost of Christmas future brings glad tidings and sober admonitions. Are these shadows of the things that will be, or the shadows of what may be only? Shadows of future, shadows of Christmas, shadows of ghosts. The ghost of Christmas future, Christmas future, future.